We're in Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, we've been examining Peter's letters. We went through all of 1 Peter. And a couple weeks ago, we began uh, 2 Peter, the second uh, letter that Peter has here in the New Testament at the end of it. And we began sort of just examining the first few verses, the first four verses specifically, as I was uh, trying to stress the fact that these are where the bulk of what Peter wants to talk about, I think that's where it lies. And he's, uh, the overriding sort of message of this letter is the assurance that these churches can have when it comes to their faith. Uh, He wants them to be built up in the fact that the assurance that they have is assurance that they can be, uh, quite frankly, sure of. And he wants to deepen them into that. He doesn't want to give them anything that would make them question their faith, so to speak. He wants them to grow deeper into their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Such is why he emphasizes that word knowledge here, especially in this first chapter. Notice again verse 1, as Peter introduces himself as a servant An apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have attained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And we emphasized a few weeks ago that this is similar to what Paul would write about when it came to the Romans. That it's a righteousness that comes from God. That this is his overriding message. That you want to be sure of your faith. You are, your faith is resting on a righteousness that comes from God himself. And this is a, an incredibly radical, life-changing message that, uh, is, that is coming to these churches precisely because, as we have emphasized in the previous lesson on, the, on, the, on First Peter, was the fact that these churches were made up of Gentiles. And yet Peter there was calling them the elect of God, part of the covenant that he had made. And that now by faith, they are part of this very self-same covenant. And even more than that, what is more remarkable, that they by faith, yes, have God's righteousness applied to their account. And here he's seeking to impart that knowledge. Notice again. Uh, the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. This knowledge here serves to uh, be the, the, the theme of this letter. And he's aiming to show that the power and the presence of the gospel in every phase of life, past, present, and future, that all of it has been a working of Jesus Christ. And the good news that we have God's righteousness by faith serves to permeate our lives. This is what I think he's going to get into in verses 5 through, down through verse 15, which will serve as our text for tonight. That this gospel changes how we live. That it changes the way that we interact. That it changes our demeanor, our our character. It changes our lives from the inside out. Or at least it ought to. And such is Peter's point. Because I want us to notice tonight three quick lessons which proclaim uh, the all sort of encompassing effects of the gospel of grace. Especially as is presented here in this text. So notice firstly, in verses 5 down through verse 10, uh, a lesson about our diligence in the present. A lesson about our diligence in the present. Notice verse 5, because he uses that word which is very indicative of this section. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith 
virtue and to virtue knowledge. That's a significant word, that word diligence. It ought to uh, be a word that stands out to our minds, especially because it's repeated at the close of this little section in verse 10. Notice he says, Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. There very easily or very quickly we can notice that this word diligence is the sort of undercurrent of these verses from verse 5 down through verse 10. And there's this comparison uh, here as he's, as he's noting in verse 9. Notice he says, he that lacketh these things, he's blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten That he was purged from his old sins. So instead of walking as though you are blind. Instead of walking as though these things aren't true. Rather than that. Give diligence. To make your calling and election sure. So here he is giving counsel to these churches. Regarding what a growing faith looks like. You want to know what it looks like to grow in your faith? Well in short Peter says it looks like this. And beside this, verse 5, giving all diligence, add. So you're adding something on top of what you already have. Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Peter, Peter's describing this life of faith as a life of deepening faith. It's a deepening faith that occurs as their diligence seems to grow and grow and grow as they're living out their faith among their brethren. And that's really uh, what this word means, give all diligence. It means to sort of... Uh, endeavor or give effort to. And and I I love how Martin Luther uses this word. And he basically is saying that here what God is calling these churches to through the voice of Peter is that they, they would give all diligence to let their faith break out. Which I just love the way Luther terms that because that's essentially what he's calling to. Let your faith so shine before men. <laughs> that reminds me of that old song that you might have learned in Sunday school. I'm going to let my light shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So often we let our light be hidden under a bushel. And here Peter is here saying, don't let your faith be hidden. Don't let it be enclosed under something that doesn't relate to its true nature. The true nature of your faith is virtuous and patient and godly. And kind and charitable and loving. And this is because it is all coming from Jesus Christ. Therefore, now give all diligence to let your faith break out before your neighbors. Let them see what they, what God has done in you. This is how this church would exhibit, would, would evidence the fact that they belong to Jesus. By being being diligent in the present, as he says there, to make your calling and election sure. uh, So people can see you and know what is happening inside your life. The best evidence for our faith is by evidencing our faith (laughs) in these particular ways. Giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue and knowledge. Self-control, patience, godliness, and so on it goes. 
It's the life of faith. It looks like this. It's a description here that Peter is uh, using to say this is what the saints, saintly life looks like. But very important, I want us to notice, because this brings us to the second lesson in our text. A lesson about our diligence in the present. But I want us to notice, because this is important, how, how Peter uses this text to very much assure them of their standing in Christ. We have a, a lesson about our diligence in the present, which is also built upon our remembrance of the past. Because notice verse 12. There's another verse that, or another word, excuse me, that ought to jump out to our minds as we read these verses. A lesson about our remembrance of the past. Notice verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. What things? The things that they have in Christ, which is in verses 5 through 10. I'm not going to be negligent. I'm not going to put it off. I won't be ashamed to put you in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. And be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, I think it necessary, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. That word Remembrance, uh, very uh, evidently, is the, 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 word, the keynote word in this little section. He's wanting them to give all diligence. How? By being actively remembering something. Give all diligence in the present by actively remembering what has happened in your past. This is what he's reminding them of. Here, this, the word remember just means what you think it does. And there in verses 12, 13, and 15, it means to bring to mind or keep in mind, keep in your memory. This is a word that uh, jogs my mind only because I know that I'm a very forgetful person. (laughs) I have to keep writing things down in order for me to remember them. That's why I, I, I like to write things down on my iPad or a piece of paper or whatever. That's why I've told you before that I have like three different calendars that are always connected and always rotating and one on my desk. So I can remember certain things, and I still forget, so it doesn't even matter. Um, but the point is, Peter here, he knows his audience. He knows that they forget. And he's motivating these churchgoers. I think this is so powerful, at least to me it is. He's motivating them to live for Jesus, give all diligence in the present by bringing to their minds what the gospel has already given them. Did you notice that? I want you to remember these things. Go back to verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Excuse me, verse 3. According as, the, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him, Jesus, that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by the, but that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I want you to remember these things. The things you've already been given. These blessings that the gospel contains. You've already been given them. You already possess them. You see, these things that they are giving all diligence to demonstrate, to illustrate... 
in the way that they live, they're already theirs. They're gifts of God. They're the fruits of the Spirit that are born out in our lives as we seek to have our lives changed and molded by the Spirit. This is what I love what Peter is here saying. The, the, the godliness that you are seeking to have evident in your life is a gift of the gospel which is present in your life already. God has already given unto us all things and we demonstrate our faith when we walk and live as though that were true. By remembering these things are mine. I am a child of God right here, right now. We don't work our way into that stature. We are children of the Father. And when we forget these things, notice he covers that, verse 9. When you forget those things, that's when you're walking as though you're blind. That's when you're walking as though these things are not true, as though they are far off, and as though you've, you've forgotten that God has already purged you of all your old sins. How often do we live that way? How often do you live as though those old sins that Jesus decimated on the cross haven't been already paid for? That's, you know, what this thing called sanctification is. This life of sanctification that's so hard is an active remembrance of remembering that all of these sins that plague your life have already been covered. You, you don't have to serve your flesh. Because Jesus has already atoned for all of those things, all of those sins, all of those terrible, horrible wickedness that plagues your life. So often we live as though that that's not true. We forget the fact that Jesus has already purged us of our sin. You see, the life of faith in Jesus is the best Business venture, if we want to term it that way, we could ever embark on precisely because everything we could hope to gain is given to us at the outset. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are gifts of the gospel that Jesus says, here, have them by faith in my name. We give all diligence not to get something as though it's a trophy we win. We give all diligence precisely because of the fact that we've already been given everything. All things that pertain to life and godliness are here right before us by faith. And yet we live so often as if that were not true. As if they are things we have to accrue and earn as though they're spiritual merit badges. That's when we are living as though we are blind. And we cannot see. We've already been purged. He's already brought us out of that life by faith that is true. You see, the more we deceive ourselves into thinking that we have to earn these things, the longer we're going to stay blind to the fact that they're already ours. And this is where we get to this beautiful fact that the life of diligence in the present is born out of the remembrance that our past is already paid for. It's not, it's not a diligence or an energy or an effort to make something true that's not already true. You are a child of God. You can live like it in faith right here today. You can live by faith and demonstrate your faith by remembering that Jesus' words are abundantly true for you right here tonight. That you've already been purged of all those old sins. 
The cross has taken them away. When Satan tempts you to go back to those old sins, you know what you can say to him? They've already been paid for 2,000 years ago on a cross. They've already been taken away. They've already been washed out of my record. I don't need that in my life anymore because they've already been paid for. They've already been covered completely. Martin Luther has a great quote. I should have written this down. I just, just remembered it. Where he's talking about that very thing. When Satan tempts you. When he comes and haunts your soul again. Remind him of Calvary. Remind him of Golgotha. He is a weakling when it comes to knowing about Golgotha. Because that's where he was defeated. That's where your sin was defeated. That's where your sin was purged. You want to be sure about your faith. Uh, you can be sure tonight in knowing that all of those old sins have been purged. And here Peter confesses. I'm not saying anything new. Notice again verse 12. I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though ye know them. You already know this. You, you've already heard this word before. You've already heard this gospel before. It's nothing inherently new. But he's reminding them of it again. He's putting them in remembrance, as he says there, in the present truth of the gospel. Which reminds us, I think, of the persistent need of the church. Now, this, this, this quote is always attributed to Luther. And I, I looked and looked, and I don't think you can ever find it attributed to him. Uh, but we like to do that anyways. But we, it, it's basically this, that we need the gospel every day because we forget it every day. <laughs> and it's so true. We, we forget the, the far-reaching tendrils of Calvary and how they reach into all the various, even yes, small aspects of our life. This is what discipleship is all about. <laughs> discipleship is about a, a dogged determination to steep in the present truth of the gospel like a bag of tea that sits in a cup of hot water and the longer it steeps the better it's going to taste and here yes we too we steep in the good news of Jesus that we've been given everything already all things that pertain to life and godliness they are ours by faith through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our savior and the strength of our faith and the depth of our faith isn't uh, determined by how active, of, active we are. It's determined by a remembrance of these things. As he says, I want you to remember these things. They are yours in Jesus. He's your rock. He's your certainty. He's the one you stand on. The question is, is valid. How often have you sat and pondered the gospel's influence on your relationship or on your work or on your school, on your retirement, on your driving, on your recreation, on your whatever? That's not to over-spiritualize trivial things. It's to say that the gospel affects all of those things. It changes how we live. Because of the spirit dwelling inside of us. <laughs> we are so prone. I, I, I know this. So I'll say, I am so prone. And maybe you can relate. <laughs> I am so prone to forget the right now power of the gospel. So often I think about it in terms of it's going to affect something far off. 
It's going to affect something someday. That one day uh, when all the world is cracking and fracturing and we can see sort of the end times are coming, that's when I can know that the gospel is going to be real. The, the gospel is real right now. You stand before God in, in his presence as completely righteousness because of Jesus now. It's not something that's going to happen someday. It's not something that's, that's only affecting out there this future potential day. It's right now. The present truth that you can be established in, as he says here, is the fact that all of those old sins are purged. You are God's child now. You are his son. You are his daughter. You can start living as though that is true because it is You can give all diligence because you've already been given everything. And this is Peter's burden. He's wanting them to remember that these things are yours because of that. Because of the cross. Which gives them so much boldness. So much assurance. Which leads us into our last lesson. We have a lesson about our diligence in the present. A lesson about our remembrance of the past. You might guess a lesson about our entrance into the future. Because notice again verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And notice verse 15 again. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Peter knows here that his time on this earth is coming to an end. That his earthly ministry, so to speak, is, is uh, on the clock. As he says, uh, before long I have to put off this my tabernacle and be taken up into glory. Even as Jesus has showed me. He's referring, of course, to John chapter 21 where he's given a little glimpse about uh, the rest of his life. But I want you to note the word that Peter uses when he's referencing his death in verse 15. He says, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Now, that word decease may not strike you as very significant, but I assure you that it is. Because it literally means departure. Or, quite even more literally, it means exodus. And basically what he is here confessing, that just as the people of Israel made their exodus out of Egypt into the promised land, so too am I going to leave this present life and enter into a more promising eternity. That, that my decease is not really an ending, as he says in verse 11, it's an entrance. It's an entrance into something so much better. It's an entrance into something so much abundantly beyond we could ever hope to imagine. That's how good it is. Both events, the, the departing, the exodus of the, of the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And the departure of saints out of this life are hopeful only because of one thing. Jesus' death and resurrection. That's why they're hopeful. 
And for those there, therefore, you can see Peter, all of these thoughts are just racing through his mind. You can see here that those who have obtained like precious faith, as he says here, through the righteousness of God, for them, death is not an end, but a beginning. Death isn't a period. It's sort of an ellipsis into a new and better life. It's the signal of something so much better. I think about that phrase from that wonderful hymn that we all know, Amazing Grace, that when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. When we used to sing this at my dad's church, he always used to change that line. He always used to say, when we've been there 10 million years, we've only just begun to sing and praise God ever so slightly for his grace. This is what we are being brought into. This is our entrance. Our departure is a beginning into something better. This is the assurance that Peter is here communicating to them. He's thinking about the the health and the faith of these churches after he's long gone. Long after my decease, long after I'm no longer able to minister to you in the flesh, I want you to be so sure of what you are walking into by faith. The life of faith looks like this. It's a life where you've been given everything and that your entrance is secure because of Jesus. You can give all diligence now because you've been given everything already. And like Peter is testifying to these churches, we too can have unbounded confidence about the future. That seems like a far off thing. It seems like a crazy reality to think about uh, confidence about the future. How in the world? (laughs) It's the same exact thing that Peter is here saying. You want to know how? (laughs) By putting these things always in remembrance. Your, your, Your future is settled and sure because your past has been settled and it's already been rectified. Our certainty about the future is rest in our remembrance that our past has already been covered in blood. It's already been done for. It's already been paid for. The future, the place that we are entering into, this entrance that is assured to us is secure because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As he says there, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because these things are yours because of Jesus Christ. We are not... Diligent to make that future happen. But to remember that our future is already bought and paid for. Our future is bright. (laughs) If you are a part of the family of God, I don't mean to give you some sort of rah-rah cheery message. But we can be rah-rah cheery. You know why? Jesus wins. Spoiler alert. Death is not going to win. Darkness is not going to overcome the light. Jesus says, this world is going to give you trouble, but guess what? I've already overcome the world. I've already defeated it. Jesus wins. This, quote, dark night of the soul is no match for the cross. It cannot overcome everything that Jesus has already vanquished. You want to know the best way we give evidence to that? 
by giving all diligence that that is true. (laughs) By living as though that that is the reality. Because by faith, that's your reality this evening. That you've been given the righteousness of God. We are making every effort, therefore, to remember. This is what John Henry Jowett, a, a commentator on this passage, he has this blessed prayer at the end of one of his passages. He says, Lord, help us to remember what we ought to never forget. I pray that would be true of me. May I, may I never forget what, and always remember that these things are true. That Jesus has purged me of, uh, of my old sins. That my standing before the Father is secure and it's settled because of his son Jesus. He's settled that already. We don't have to, in verse 9, blindly grope and search for something that's already ours by faith. You're walking as though that thing's not already true. These things are yours. Live in the boldness and the diligence of saying that this reality is already sure. The kingdom is coming. It's a sure reality. Ours is a task of guaranteed victory. You know, I I was thinking about this in the Lord of the Rings. There's this scene where, I think in the books, it happens at the, the oh, I'm going to sound super nerdy and it's okay. Um, it happens at the, the elven city of Rivendell. And the, and the king of this city, his name is Celeborn, and he's talking to the fellowship which has been tasked to destroy this one ring, this mighty weapon of the enemy. And he says, and he's confessing to this, this fellowship, this confederation of, of people. And he says, we've been fighting the long defeat. He's referencing the fact that for ages, they've been fighting almost a losing battle. It's felt like a very long defeat. You know what, that's not your life. You don't fight the long defeat. Actually, you fight... A long victory. (laughs) A long victory is yours. Yeah, it can feel as though we're being defeated. That we're being pressed down. As, As in that same book he says, it can feel as though we're on the edge of a knife. Stray but a little and this quest is going to fail. And we can feel as though everything is hanging in the balance. Peter is here saying, yours is a task of guaranteed victory. I was reflecting on this and it just brought to mind what we preached about several months ago. Remember in, I'll just read it. I'm not going to make it up. I'm not going to try and quote it. It comes from Joshua chapter 10. If you remember this, we went through Joshua chapters 11 through chapters 21. And we talked about all of these victories. And you know what the most amazing promise that the people of Israel have before every single one of these victories? Is that God promised them victory before they even lifted a finger. Listen to Joshua chapter 10 verse 8. To set the scene, there's this axis of powers. Think about World War II and this axis of powers that that comes together to fight against Britain and other allied nations in World War II. There's something similar going on as this axis of nations is aligning together to uh, assault Israel. 
And before the siege happens, before the battle happens, listen to God's words to Israel. And the Lord said, verse 8 of Joshua 10, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand, and there shall not a man of them stand before thee. They hadn't even unsheathed their swords. And he had already said, you will be victorious. You are going to vanquish this army as though they were one man. No one's going to stand before you. That's the message that Jesus gives to us. That the battle is already ours. The field is ours. We can be diligent in this present, not because we're hoping and scratching and clawing that we will come through with victory. But we know we can give all diligence because we are guaranteed victory. We are guaranteed that the pressure is off. The performance has already been, uh, has already been done. It's Jesus Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the one who ushers us in to this amazing entrance. The entrance into a future that's already secured. And how do we, how do we, how do we know that? Because we remember the past, it's already been settled. Therefore, we can live in the present so freely and so diligently. Because it always comes back to Jesus. <laughs> The author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. He did not skirt away from the cross. He didn't try to evade it. He went to the cross for us. And there he conquered all. He put your death to death. He put your sin in the grave. You know, I think it's Augustine. I forget which early church father. He talks about the cross being Satan's mousetrap. <laughs> it's a really curious picture. But he talks about the fact that Satan sees it as this thing that's going to bring so much shame and denigration on Jesus. And in fact, it's a mousetrap for Satan because he is defeated there. <laughs> that's where Satan is vanquished. <laughs> Fully, as he says in Colossians chapter 2, he puts all of them to an open shame. And they were guaranteed that victory is ours. I find so much hope in the gospel. In these all-encompassing effects of grace. And that they tell us, they tell us what Jesus did for us. Therefore, we're, fr we're freed to live for Jesus in this life. Because of what he's already done for us. May God be praised. May God be glorified in that message. Let us pray.